continuing. Okay. Mike, I'm so glad. Um, I think I've said this before. I'm so glad you're keeping us involved in this because um, I can hear from your tone that it's not a small concern for you. So I'm grateful that you are keeping us in this with you. So anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Mel uh, oh, Melody, Melody you go ahead. Still need your prayers. Sorry. Melody's family still needs your prayers. Just throw us all in together, the Shreve family. Well, all of us, we're all there. Mike, your son's name is Aaron? Yeah, okay. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, um, you went to a cross and endured an agonite that's probably had to, no, it wasn't unbelievably excruciatingly painful what had to have made it worse for you is that you were innocent um, we complain and probably most of us deserve jail I mean I saying that only partly ironically I think you know if our sins were measured um, most of us would deserve time I mean we all carry sins some have to fulfill them more than others. Um, one of the great graces of our lives is that our suffering gets spread out so it gets dimmed a little bit, becomes more bearable. It had to be unbearable for you, the Stations of the Cross, the the jeering and the, and the taunts and the jibes, the insults, you know, um, the ridicule um, as you carried your cross. Um, that's at the center of our faith. Um, we fall back on it when when we're troubled. Um, I myself am particularly glad to be a part of this group that we can share this consciously because I think it helps. If we're alone, it just becomes much, much harder. So for the work that we do together like this, to have these moments of sharing a prayer, I'm grateful and I'm trusting that everybody else is too. For whatever part we share in your cross, um, thank you. Pardon our failures. Please strengthen us so that we can stay close to you to know that whatever these hardships are, they're meant to help us get better. That's a hard thing. I don't think any of us wants to see suffering piled up, but, um, but you know us better than we know ourselves, so um, for whatever you allow in our lives, um, thank you and pardon our failings, our weaknesses. Um, for the work that we do together, um, I'm especially thankful. Um, what a good heart in all, in all these people. Um, I ask a special prayer for our country. It's not a small time. Our country's been going leftward for several generations. We're becoming more and more utopian, wanting more and more. Um, and we're testing our fundamental principles. The very things on which our democracy um, was founded are at risk, terribly at risk. Um, guide our country, please. Help the leaders stay close to you. Um, 
more importantly, help the leaders stay grounded um, because so many of them are not. They're just living in these ideals. Um, they don't show a sufficient understanding of our human nature and our weaknesses. Um, they put us at risk and our country right now is at risk. So guide us please, help us to be the best of ourselves as a country. Um, I ask a special blessing for Aaron and um, his struggles. Um, surround him please, help him, let there be help around him. There are times in our lives when lots of us need it badly. Um, I can look back on my own life and think about periods where um, I look back and think, how in the world did I get out of them? Whatever your will is, um, it's for the best and help us to know that. Help us to do everything we can to do your will, um, not according to us, what we would want. When things don't go the way we want, um, strengthen every one of us not to despair. You're doing something. The question is whether we have a faith strong enough to hold on when we don't understand it. So strengthen all of us in our faith to get better at giving ourselves to those things we don't grasp with our minds. We're too given to pleasures, too much of the world. Um, so many of these things are corrections for us um, needed. So um, stay with us, please. Be with Aiden, and I ask a special blessing for Mike, for Michael. Um, help his heart to quiet some, to trust in you, um, to let go some. So easy. For, I mean, I'm almost, it's hard for me to say it because it's sometimes too easy to say, but um, let that be for him, please. And be with Melody and her family, um, um, particularly her. <laughs> I'm speaking, I hope, as a friend here. She has such a good mind, such a good heart, and um, that means for most of us, anybody who has special gifts, larger burdens, more to carry, strengthen her. Somewhere, let that young woman hold on to your promises to be glad when she has no reason for being glad anymore. You know, whatever the struggles, um, give her strength. Let her feel your presence next to her, seriously. Um, and to be glad, to, to know that there's something going on and help her to hold um, trust in her gifts of her mind and heart and turn them to you. Maybe the best way to say this for all of us is help all of us to make these days that we have offerings to you. The words this last weekend were, Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. God, help us to listen. Um, help us to make our days offering to you, saying ourselves, here I am, here I am, ask of me what you will. There's almost no help to do this from our country today. <laughs> Everything about our country is I, give me, I want. Help us, help us to put that in its place so that we can say, speak Lord, your servant's listening, here I am, what do you want me to do? Help all of us to do that, um, and help us to find some guidance in the work that we're doing. Um, 
I offer, we offer these prayers in your name. Oh, sorry. And I also ask your prayers. Everybody else is for Aiden, young Aiden, and um, Emily and Jonathan. Um, Emily's, <laughs> she's a tough young woman, um, but I know she's also exhausted and they've got a, a young baby. Protect them. Hold this virus off from all of us. Hey, David, I'm sorry. I don't want to put you on the spot here. You mentioned a couple who came down with COVID, and you said one of the women died, and I don't want to leave her out of our prayers. So um, what happened, please, so we can include them in our prayers tonight? Her name is Maxine. 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 And the husband's name? Bob. Bob. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Keep this disease off, please, from, particularly from those we love. Hold this thing off. Let it not get us, please. Take that seriously. Let us not get it. Um, help Bob recover from this disease, and let a blessing be with Maxine. Welcome him. Welcome her out of this life with all of its sorrows and trials, um, the longing for every one of us in while we're here is joy. Um, um, wash away her sins. Let her rush into the joy of your presence. Know a joy of being with you. And know that whatever longing she carries in her heart to you, you will answer more directly because you've got her in front of you. So your, her cares you will take back to our world to her husband Bob and all of those who are mourning her loss right now. So be with Maxine, forgive her her sins, welcome her into your presence and the joy that's um, of being with you. We offer these prayers in your name, Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, okay. Um... Well, I feel like it's downhill after a prayer like that. <laughs> God. <laughs> what do I do with you guys? God, how do you get beyond prayers like that? Um, okay. Um, so did none of you get the outline that I sent to you? So none of you have even the outline? No? Okay. I'm not going to. Very, very quick method. We, for the last couple of weeks, we talked about Dante's method, the allegorical method. Everybody's clear on that. If anybody says, no, I'm going to dismiss you from class, I'm canceling you. There will be, be a line running through your audio. Does everybody understand <laughs> allegory? You all should know that there are four levels, and, they all, and the crucial point is they all start with a literal. One of the problems with the modern mind is, particularly the scientific mind, is it abstracts from literal. It gets rid of it. Everything, everything begins with what exists, what is. So the existence of those four levels rests on the literal, whatever happens. Um, last night, when we used to have our kids over all the time and I would tell them stories. It was really funny because it became a ritual. I think I've told you this story, I'm not sure. And now they're growing up for the last five, six, seven years. We don't see them much. And the kids were asking their father to tell a story some years ago 
after they'd had years of hearing stories over here and Jonathan started to tell him a story and the kids started howling at him and going, that, that, is, not the well, that is not the way to tell a story, Dad. <laughs> Pop, ask Papu. I mean, anyway, last night was the first time I've had a story for them and I've got one tonight when we get offline. Um, and I tried to, if you could imagine me, I tried to do everything I can to make this, the story as, as gruesome and as frightening as I can and still have a good ending. But it's just a way of saying, you know, literally something happens, but all these other levels exist in it. So even if there's a death, even if there's something awful, there's always something more going on. Right now we've been in hell. We've been looking at the most gruesome aspects of our human nature and doing it with a sense that it's all comic. That Dante is present in hell looking at awful things, but he's present looking at it and we're standing with him so that we are put in a position where we can see our own sins and not be overwhelmed by them. The whole spirit of the Commedia is to help us become present, to look at things and not be overwhelmed in order to get out of them. You know, not to ignore them, not to sweep them under the rug, but to learn to see them and find a strength. But remember the opening lines. Um, I want to tell you this story for the good that came out of it. He can't, de he can't get to the good without looking at the evil that helped increase that good, made it what it was. So the allegorical method is central. We've, we've seen the opening canto was that mountain. It's an abstraction. And all the other cantos flesh out what was allegorically present in that mountain. So that we're seeing we have to work with the literal and see that there are deeper things going on. And that's what we've been doing all along. So we, we move from limbo outside of hell proper into hell to all the levels of the incontinence. You've met the lustful, the, the virtuous pagans, the lustful, the gluttonous, all of them. Okay? To the violent and finally we got to the f fraudulent. And there are two levels of fraud. Level 8, level 9, they're the 8th and ninth levels of the Inferno. 8 is fraud simple, and 9 is fraud complex. Fraud simple has to do with those um, qualities of fraud that are more amorphous, general, um, dispersed, you know, they're broader, they affect more people. But fraud complex has to do with those um, qualities of fraud that we use involving those who most trust us. So there, where there are closest loves, and that, men are, that generally means in our families or with our lords, our great leaders, those betrayals are worst. So we're going from the incontinent sins of weakness to sins of violence, sins that are more aggressive, to sins of the intellect that immediately involve the way we use our minds dishonestly. Okay? So that's just a very quick overview. Any questions about that before we, before we take where we um, pick up with what we did last week? I want to I pick up two examples from what we've already looked at, but 
Any questions first? Just that's just a very sketchy outline of what we've been doing. Um, I'm I'm assuming all of you guys know that by now. The the, the whole action we've been we've been I've been using that term action in place of plot. The whole action, the whole movement of the inferno, is from the surface into the interior. We're going from those things that are most shallow and most superficial to those things that are most obscure, most hidden in the soul of man. If Dante's being truthful, and I think if most of us are honest, we'll see those are the things all of us have. Most of the time we just don't see them. And for Dante, there's a grace in seeing them because it means um, we get closer to Christ in dealing with sins and changing them, transforming them. We become better for having seen them. And you, I, I, don't, I think that's probably a self-evident thing. If you look around at people in the world, I mean, I think most of us have had this kind of... Lots of people just ignore... They walk past their sins. They just act like they're in a world of their own and everything's nice and good. And it's as if you were invited to live in a world of superficiality and you know, go on as if nothing's going on. And there's something unreal about that. You know, they're just not dealing with it. Dante, our church is asking us to deal to deal with ourselves, you know, to get better, that we we can get better at looking at this stuff. So any questions about any of this? Last week I think you challenged us to answer why heresy was kind of in the middle, not not that not as uh, worse of a sin as some of the others. And I think it's because it's a sin of pride and envy, and it's kind of like they they don't really know, um, and there's no malice, there's no violence, you know. That it's it's just kind of a an extra source of pride to them that there's no soul, so they don't have to worry about it. And I think that's why it's in the middle, and it's not farther down. If it was mixed with something more evil, then uh, it would be more like a traitor to God. So that, that's why I think. If, if that's what, I think you challenged us to, to talk about that, so that's why I brought it up. Good for you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm always grateful for, I mean, for the, I've been sort of laughing at it for years and saying, God, do I need help? I'm always grateful for, no, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for any of you guys when you, keep me honest and I think the reason for saying that is the older I get the more I realize what a task that is so I don't even like the idea of burdening you but thanks for that Melody anybody can anybody add anything to what Melody just said I'm glad she reminded us of that another way of putting it is why you know if I think if if most people thought about hell they'd think about the gates of Dece at the outset, that as soon as you cross the sticks, you'd be facing a gate and enter hell. But Dante doesn't do that. We're, we're in hell. There's no question about that. Once we cross the sticks, remember Dante crosses it unconscious. You know, he comes across and then he meets all of the virtuous pagans, the lustful. He, meet, he, he experiences all the levels of incontinence. But when he comes to um, the, the gates, he meets hell proper. And the circle that he's meeting is is designated as the circle of heretics, of heresy. 
So it's, it's heresy that in a sense defines the gates of the nature of hell itself. It's not that anything outside that isn't. It's like the outskirts of the city. It's just those are lesser sins. But once you pass the gates, the walls, you've entered um, a deeper of level of sin. So the question is, what does heresy mean in that sense? And, and Melody's just helped us here. I mean, she's given us a start with by saying what she does. Does anybody want to add anything? Why Why? Why does heresy def- represent, signify the gates of Dece, hell proper, in Dante's descent? Well, let me offer this so we can... It seems to me what, 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 hell rep, what heresy represents is the obdurateness, the, the stubbornness of the will. Um, that, that gets reinforced in the mind. I mean, it's absolutely important that at this point we see that what's at issue here is the intellect. And, and so th- this is a. I, I, this is. It's so important to be clear here. Um, Melody identified pride and envy, and I, I think they're behind all of them. But I think there's a degree of pride of er, you know, and arrogance and envy here. But I think what distinguishes heresy from the others and why it stands out is why Dante uses to signify the walls, the the boundary. The city limits, the, the what defines hell, is the way in which the obdurateness of the will takes an intellectual form. It's the mind saying. It's really, at some point, it's absolutely crucial to see the two greatest gifts that God gave us are the intellect and free will. St. Thomas says the two are inseparable, and I think he's absolutely right. Free will is rooted in the intellect. That's St. Thomas. It's only by virtue of our capacity to know something that we can say. There's, Father Flynn does this all the time. Tell me if, if he's done this, Connie. So there's gate A and there's gate B. Is he not done this with you? There's gate A. If, if you choose gate A, you're going to hell. If you choose gate B. So he, he gets very blunt about this. But stop and think about that. If there's no intellect, you can't even distinguish between them. It's because we have an intellect that we can say A and B, and we've got a choice. So our free will is coming to play. We can commit a sin. We can drink too much. We can Whatever it is, whatever our sin is, we can choose that only because our intellect is awake enough to do it. But what happens at the level of heresy is that this obdurateness of the will, this stubbornness, has the support of a, of a mind. The mind is turned from God. So at the, at the level of Gidis, we see the mind is stubbornly refusing God. And that expresses itself in the will. You know, this is the way life is. This, so, 
eat, drink, and be merry now. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have my pleasure because there's no tomorrow. There's no mortality of the soul. So uh, uh, the, the gates of these are crucial for that reason. We know that we're entering sins that are far more embedded, far deeper in the soul. They're more entrenched. They're more strengthened because the will and the mind has turned away from God. So the mind is starting to use itself. People are using the mind to hide, to trick, to excuse, you know, whether it's in the violent or the fraudulent. So the intellect is far more immediately involved. The will is far more openly, aggressively involved in everything that goes on from that point on. Because remember, incontinence is a weakness. The sins that are being committed there, committed there are committed out of weakness. It's not that anybody's denying God. It's that they don't have the strength to say no. And just to, to, try to, not, to try to prevent this from becoming too dark, what's going to change all this when we go to purgatory, I've said this before and I just want to keep it alive because I don't want, I don't want any of us becoming overwhelmed by a sense of sins because I, I think that's sinful. I don't, that's not good for any of us. What happens in purgatory is everybody in purgatory is going to be facing the same things, exactly the same things, except there they're acknowledging God and the need for forgiveness, for mercy. So they're picking up the same sins, all of them, but in a different spirit. In hell, people are obdurate. They don't need God. Um, they're going to go on doing what they do. They're going to give all their reasons and keep doing it. They've chosen their sins. <clears throat> any, any further responses to that? I'm, thanks, thanks, Melody, for picking that up again. Um, somewhat on the same line, Bob. I hope, hope I'm not getting too far ahead, but in uh, Canto 28, uh, Dante deals with Muhammad. And he places him with the schismatics yes. rather than with the heretics. And there's a short note at the in the on the page. What page but, is that, Mike? Well, in the portable Dante, it's uh, Canto twenty-eight begins on one page one forty-eight. Okay, go ahead. Oh, well. The note, the note says that first appears Muhammad, regarded by Dante as a perverter of Christianity. So he puts, he puts Muhammad with the schismatics rather than with the heretics. So that just puzzled me a little. Uh, never thought of him that way. Yeah. Um, well, what a good, let's see. Um, here, boy, are you good? <clears throat> okay. If we take what I said a minute ago, boy, you guys are <clears throat> not making it easy tonight. So the heretics um, deny the immortality of the soul. Muhammad did not deny the immortality of the soul. In fact, most of is Islam's Muslims believe in God, Allah. Um, but they break off from, so if you look at Muhammad, what happened to him in these revelations he had is that everything he did in one sense was in accord with the first five books of the Bible. 
So he didn't deny God, he didn't deny the immortality of the soul. He was schismatic in the sense that he accepted the truth but broke, took a different route. Whereas on the level of heretics, and the reason it's so important for defining everything that goes on behind that or follows from it, is the this stubbornness of the mind um, with regard to God and how our belief in God or not affects our wills. You know, it can make us violent, aggressive, fraudulent. It can do all these things that we see happening. So I think in Dante's just keeping in light that kind of a distinction between what goes on at the level of heresy and the level of um, the schismatics. We're going to get there in a minute, so you know, hold on, because we'll we're going to go down the list in a second. But um, what I was trying to do in the beginning was just give a, a, a skip, just a very sketchy outline of you know what's brought us to the point where we are, because we've just started the level of fraud, and I want to pick up with there. Any other questions about that? I think I'm glad for Melody's comment because the level, the circle of the heretics defines hell proper. The difference between the incontinent is the people in the incontinent are doing something out of weakness. They're not denying God, in some sense. And as a matter of fact, remember Francisca said, if God were the friends, if if only God were friendly to us, we wouldn't be here. She believes in God; it's just she's blaming him. The level of the heretics, people are denying the immortality of the soul. They're denying all sorts of things. What we're seeing there is that the, the intellect becomes very stubborn and limited in what it allows. And it, it as a whatever choice they make radically affects what they do with their wills. They become more aggressive, more violent, more fraudulent, more given to lying, deceiving, using people more cunning that isn't what we see above above in in the incontinent we're watching we're experiencing weaknesses here we're seeing the intellect more immediately involved in a dishonest way with the truth with god and with the nature with our nature as human beings whether we have a, an immortal soul or not let me let me go then. Here, I want to I want to look at two things before we start before we pick up where we left off. Um, <clears throat> go back to Brunetto on page eighty three just for a minute. This uh, just a quick review. I want to point to two things because both of them touch on serious matters that we've been dealing with. <clears throat> Remember, Brunetto was his teacher, and Dante was very fond of him and very tender and um, showed um, just a profound respect for him as he walked with him, you know, around the circle here in hell, um, honoring him, telling him how much he owed him, but he's still in hell. The last image we had is that image that I read that I, to me is compelling. I would So on page 83, Canto... Um, 15, at the very end, I would say more, but my walk and conversation with you cannot go on, for over there I see a new smoke rising from the sand. People approach with whom I must not mingle. There are laws in hell. Remember my trezor where I live on. This is the only thing I ask of you. Dante's doing that because he knows the danger. He would know it for himself. 
Here's a man who believed in immortality. He wanted to teach it to Dante, but ironically, he's in hell. How many artists, God, it's frightening, how many artists write a story so they can be remembered after they die when ironically they're going to be in hell? I mean, Dante had to know this because he himself was writing a poem that he hoped would survive him. Artists want works to survive them. It's, It's like... This is, this is Plato, by the way. Plato would say, it's one of the ways we participate in mortality. We create these works and leave them behind. He will say this about parents, particularly mothers. Give birth to a child. For a mother and a father, both. Mother and a father. You leave something of yourself behind. When you die, yourself is going to live. Something is carried on. The irony here is, <laughs> Brunetto's in hell. So... Even as much as we want somebody to survive us, we have to be careful about the spirit that we bring to these things, whether it's our children or our works of art or or our work at a business, in a company. But then he ends. Then he turned back and he seemed like one of those who run Verona's race across the fields to win the green cloth prize. And he was like the winner of the group, not the last one in. I, I can never read that without the feeling a chill run through my body. Just imagine yourselves, or I imagine myself, doing what it is that I, you know, sometimes I get too preoccupied with, that I'm set, my mind is set to do this, get it done. If we were to die in that moment, would that moment possess us? If that's what we carry into the next life. So Brunetto, um, it's like he's trying to be better than everybody else, running a race, carrying the flag, and he's still doing it because that's what meant most to him in life. So when he, it, it, it's as if the people in hell want something more than God and they let that get a hold of them and it possesses them, it takes them. That's what they carry in. So eternity, that moment will be, fr- that's what they wanted, that's what they've got. So to me, it's, it's one of the most beautiful illustrations of what defines hell. You know, in a, in a, nothing dramatic is going on. It's not a great thing. But in a, subtle, in a very subtle way, it's revealing one of the dangers of hell. Okay. Any comments on that? I want to look at the, the second one in the soothsayers. But any comments on that before we go on? Other than that is a little bit bone chilling. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I, Connie, all, I'm, all I can say is I'm glad somebody else is because I I get a little bit nervous every time I read that. I mean, it really does. Oh, yeah. It's so subtle. Just um, right now, I can't wait to start purgatory. What else can I say? <laughs> Okay, page 107, 106, Canto, this is 22. This is a little bit beyond where we were, but I want to touch on it because it goes to this question of pity that's been, you know, one of Dante's great concerns all along. By the way, this is not, this is, this concern is going to take us all the way into the last Canto, so it's not a small thing for Dante. It's a very human emotion. It's one all of us feel when we, sorry? When we, when we see somebody suffering, the natural response is to 
or when we ourselves suffer, you know, we feel sorry. I mean, we pity ourselves. So it's a very natural emotion. Canto 20, let me just read it. So he's come to the fourth Mal Bulge. It's the evil pocket where the soothsayers are. And the soothsayers are, are those who presume to prophesy the future, you know, to say what's going to happen. Okay, so it's, um, it's, it's a major sin in fraud, okay? Um, I, I want to do this just to touch on the, the theme of pity. Um, oh, by the way, here, Maria's coming. Maria, um, I just saw you joined us again. I, I'm sorry, I, I should have done this. Maria, after our, class, after our class last week, Maria sent this blog that had to do with flattery. Because if you remember, that's where we left off last week, and I want to pick up there. But I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't get it off, but it was from a psychological journal in which the authors were, were referring to... This, this is psychology. They were referring to Dante, so they're professional therapists, I think, referring to the, the dangers of flattery. Um, I should have sent it to you, but I didn't. But Marie, I just wanted to thank you for sending that along. Um, okay. I can send it again if, if anybody wants it. Didn't get it on the chat. Should I send it? Yeah, can you? Can yeah, you, can I you do that here? I will look for it and send it. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know how to work this. You guys know better than I do. So you guys work whatever magic you can do. Okay. Okay, Canto 20. Now I must turn strange torments into verse. This is what Dante's doing. He's taking the ugliest things and turning them into poetry. There's a good here. He's transforming them. This is part of the comedy. Um, to form the matter of the 20th canto, because we're in the 20th canto, of the first chant, remember there are three chants, three canticles. There are three canticles, Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso. We're in the middle one, the second one. The one about the, we're in the first one, the, the one about the dam. Already I was where I could look down into the depths. He sees into the depths of the soothsayers. And what he sees is terrifying. Because in the, in the level of the soothsayers, all of the people have their heads twisted about. So they're looking behind them and walking backwards. So everything about them is contrary to what it should be. Instead of looking forward and seeing what's in front of them, they're looking behind and the tears that are passing from their um, eyes are falling into their buttocks instead of rolling down their stomach. Does everybody see that little note that came up? That So if you'd like it, I guess what you do is click on it. I'm not sure. And then you can all go to the link. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Maria, for doing that. Thank you. He says, um, their faces looked down in their backs. They had to move ahead by moving backwards for they never saw what was ahead of them. Remember, the contrapasso in its sense shows if, if we could, this is so, I mean, Dante wrote a play on every sin. That's what every canto is. It's a little play. What you see is the contrapasso, the setting is a reflection of the sin, but it also shows you that once you choose that sin, it encloses you. It defines your world. It cuts you off. That's your world. So the contrapasso envelops you. 
So in this particular level, the heads are twisted about, they're crying, they're weeping, goes down their back. Um, perhaps there was a case of someone once in a palsy fit become so distorted, but none that I know of. I doubt there could be. What he's seen is so grotesque. So may God grant you, reader, benefit from reading my, of my poem. Just ask yourself how I could keep my eyes dry when close by. So he, he's overcome by pity. He can't see this without weeping. It's so... To see our human nature reduced to this. How can I keep my eye dry when close by I saw the image of our human form so twisted the tears their eyes were shedding streamed down to wet their buttocks at the cleft. Indeed, I did weep as I, learned, as I leaned my body against the jut of rugged rock, my guide. So you're still like all those other fooled? Okay, how mild is Virgil right now? How nice is he? <laughs> I hope everybody's seen. Um, um, how nice. Um, so you're still like all the other fools in this place. Piety lives when pity is dead. For who could be more wicked than that man who tries to bend divine will to his own? These are men who try to take God's will and twist it to conform to their own. And Virgil's saying, wake up, hello, um, you're going to feel sorry for these people, then you're as much a fool as they're. Because remember the Divine Comedy. What we're watching is the foolishness of human beings, not tragedies. The stupidity, it's coming. Lift your head up, lift it, see him for whom the earth split wide before the Thebans' eyes, while they all shouted, where are you rushing off to? So... The, the, the canto will go on, but here's another reminder of the danger that Dante faces because he's learning to look at sin, but he's also learning to detach himself from it. It's not that he won't feel, it's that he has to learn to bring his feelings into conformity with the truth of things. So those are just two illustrations of things that we've been dealing with. I wanted to pick up there before we go back to where we left off last week. So any comments about where we are, what we're doing here? Well, that I, must, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was struck as I have been reading. It's not just looking at the souls in hell, but I was thinking about people that we know on earth that are doing things that we know are bad, but we like these people <laughs> and we accept them. Right. Okay, <laughs> Catherine, so good for you. God, boys, okay, this is hot spot for everybody right now. Okay, absolutely right. I mean, I'm just so grateful for you. So what do you do? I mean, that, that's partly what you're asking, I think, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of our human nature. We overlook these things, but that's, it's really not acceptable. Okay, I, bless her soul. I mean, she, to me, she's standing on the edge of a cliff right now. <laughs> what she's dealing with is so real. So what do we do? I'm asking the question seriously. What do we do? That, By the way, I, I hope everybody's seen, that's not only true of other people... <laughs> It's true of ourselves. 
That's so, true. So let's let's get very real for a second. I, maybe I shouldn't go here. I mean, maybe this is getting beyond the literature. But what do we do? What do we do? I need some wine right now for this one. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? Maria, where are you? We pray for them. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? We can also fast and do mortification. Okay, but you don't say anything to them? Well, if they are not receptive, um, it's not always the best thing to talk with them. What do you do? Tough. It's a good question. It's just a good, good question. Karen, what do you do? Come on, Karen. What do you do? Bob says, show him no pity. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Who's Bob did. Bob did? <laughs> Bob, what does showing no pity mean? What do you do? Ah, gotcha. That was a little sarcastic. <laughs> I thought it was really. I thought it was in keeping with Dante myself. The question is, how do you do it? Be good friends, probably. What What good is it to lose a? I mean, to keep a friend when you lose him in. By the way, if any of you have seen the movie um, Man for All Seasons, or I've read the the book, you know, Man for All Seasons. Thomas More says that. You know, what What good? I mean. How does he put it to the guy who wants him to lie about the marriage thing? And he says, so, um, if I say this, I will be your friend now, um, but will you, will you be with me when I lie, when I go to hell? You know, I mean, isn't the, I mean, we hear this all the time. Father Flynn, it, to me, is so solid on his homilies. You know, what good does it do us to keep a friend when we lose him in the next life because of something we didn't do? I, I, here, I'm going to try to answer it myself because I, all of you are sort of squirming around this, but in one sense, aren't, aren't we being asked by Christ to love that person? I mean, Mary, I'm, or I mean, Anne, I'm trying to take you at your best here. To love that person enough to bring the truth to them, to say it kindly enough, you know, to say, you know how much I care about you, it's a friend. Uh, by the way, I'm speaking about dangerous things. Now. I'm not talking about stupid little things we do all the time. I'm talking about things that that sometimes we can be really concerned about in people because they're not good. But you you say to somebody, you know, um, um, you're a good friend. I love these qualities in you. Um, there are times when I get concerned because I see you doing this. You know, my experience with that is very often when people hear that some people are going to resent it walk away good people are going to be glad and they're going to come back and say thanks for that you know if people don't receive it i mean then then i think you do what maria says and you you know you pray you do other things but i i i don't think i don't think prayer should be our first response not if we're taking our bearings from dante our first, our first response is be Virgil. I mean, we're, 
to be Christ. We're, we're, to, we're to go to people to bring the truth, but we're asked to do it in love, not to get angry, not to put people down, not to show that we're better than they are, that we've got the truth and they don't, or we're better, you know, things like that, that somehow we have to be a good friend. The Bible says that, admonish, correct each other, you know, bring each other, bring Christ to each other. That puts friendships at risk. But then you have to ask, what's the worth of a friendship if it doesn't bring us closer together? Then what kind of a friendship was it? So, anyway, I'm tough question, Anne. I, but anybody else? Connie, did you have something? Did you, you came back on? <coughs> I was actually having dinner, but no, yeah, it, yeah, that is really tough. I mean, to talk to people um, and tell them, you know, because they think you're being like, you know, all that, and and it's, and it's not true. You, you, I mean, you just can't tell people too many things these days. They just, they just don't want to hear it. Um, it, it. It's a very hard thing to do. But yeah, I really agree that we really should talk to them. And let them know, like you can't, you can't do that. I mean, you just can't do that. But like I said, most of them won't listen. And then, like Maria said, you didn't bring on the prayer, and hopefully, the conversion from uh, Jesus will come through. We can't um, dictate to people. No, it's not, not. It's not for us to put people down to say you're worse or you're, you know. But I think for us to not be open and offer something in a better spirit. This is me speaking personally, I, I, but it's also from what I've learned from Dante. And it's not to be a good friend. You know, for a friend, we just can't leave somebody. The, difficult, the difficulty, I think, is for us, not the other person. <clears throat> I think the difficulty for us is we can get high-handed, moralistic, above people, superior, and that's not going to help anybody. But I think if we go in friendship offering a concern, you know, and get all that other stuff out of the way, then there's a greater chance that somebody will hear us and our friendship will deepen. And it's always a risk. It always involves a risk. I, I think the greater problem is not with other people. It's with us, the spirit we bring to what we do. Um, and if we stand with Christ, it means sometimes we will lose friends. And... I mean, Christ addresses that pretty directly. We care more about friends than we care about God? Then are we really trying to live Christ? There, I just think living with Christ constantly puts us at risk. That's, that's in the nature of his call because we're, we're not to give over to this world. We can't look down on it. We can't dictate. We can't put people down. But we can't abandon them. If somebody's doing something that's not good for them, it's not good to leave them in that. That's not... Love <laughs> Love means acting for the good of another person. If somebody's doing something that's hurtful to them, it's not helpful to leave them there. We shouldn't beat people over the head. We shouldn't put them down. Um, I hope everybody's hearing how hard that is. It take, I think it takes a real wisdom to do that. Because the tendency, and I, I mean, going back to Connie's, I think the tendency in our country is black-white. You know, you're either good or you're all bad. And that 
bringing that sort of spirit to people does not help. Um, because if, if, if we should do anything, I mean, I, ho- I don't know where Father Flynn was going with your homily, but if we don't bring a sense of our own sinfulness to what we do with people, if we don't carry our own sins, I'm not sure that we're doing people any good at all. If we start acting like we're better than other people, I don't know how honest we're being. What Dante's showing us here, I mean, what Dante's learning is to, you know, this was Dante, he didn't see it up the mountain. The the three beasts beat him back. Dante's learning to see the sins in his own character. How could he have written this comedy if he didn't learn to see them with some charity? If what he did when he left hell was sit there and feel sorry for himself and self the, the tendency for self-accusations to beat ourselves up only shows our pride. The first thing that Dante will do when he gets out of hell onto the shores of purgatory, Cato will say, go wash yourself up. He plucks a reed and he washes his face. It's an act of humility. Leaving hell cannot leave us accusing ourselves the the next step is hope purgatory begins boy we are going everywhere tonight okay can we any more can we pick up where we were good question really good question Ann tough question tough question Okay, um, we left off with Thias. The I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up just because her words are so. Good. Page ninety nine, go back. Uh, you remember the the first level was the panders and seducers. The next level was the flatters. The flatters are deeper because their sin is intellectually deeper. Flattery means using your intellect to lead somebody on. You're, you're playing on somebody's pride. You know, you're, you're turning them into something by, by treating them as if they're something they're not. So when the, the patron, the guy that she's just given sex to, says, how am I? This is on page 99. Um, <clears throat> lean out a little more, look down there so you can get a good look at the face of that repulsive and disheveled tramp scratching herself with shitty fingernails, spreading her legs while squatting up and down. It is Thias, the whore, who gave the answer to her lover when he asked, am I very worthy? You know, how good am I? Um, Of your thanks, very, nay, incredibly so. God. You can just hear the deception dripping. I mean, it is so thick. I think our eyes have had their fill of this. Virgil's disgusted. He said, Let's, this is enough. I mean, it's Virgil is a major. If you want to know how to act, watch Virgil. Um, what we're seeing is the danger of flattery, that so often human beings will say something that's dishonest to make somebody else feel better so that they feel better. It's a way of saying something to somebody else so <clears throat> they will be appreciated better. I hope that's clear, Yeah. You say something nice to them, but somebody else, so they will love you. So they will think more of you. So once it's, again, it's using the intellect to turn another person into something that person's not. 
and take away something of our own human nature in doing it. Um, in the next level of the Baraders, it's one of the funniest scenes. It's, it's a scene in which the devils get tricked. Chiampolo is a Barader. He, he tricks the devils to come over to him and says, I'll give away the names if you come and approach. Um, and the devils come over and he tricks them and one devil goes in because he knows he's been tricked and another devil goes after him and the devils themselves fall in the muck. And it's a, it's a wonderful image of the truth of the inferno that, that hell is a place divided against itself. Everybody in hell exists in isolation. One of the marvelous paradoxes about hell is that in hell, according to the God's economy, souls are very often paired. Francisco and Paulina, dad, um, Odysseus or Ulysses and Diomedes, you can, you know, Ugolino at the end, we'll see. Again and again, souls will be paired. But in those pairs, one of the persons is using the other to work out his sin, and the other is receptive to it. So we're seeing one of the dynamics of hell is that people, the, the modern psychologist would call it a kind of codependence, that you know, they, they serve each other for their sins. So here, um, the, the sinner tricks the devils, and the devils end up fighting themselves and going after each other. In the level of the um, hypocrites on page 127, um, it's an it's a, it's a important um, scene. It's, it's a scene of Caiaphas. Um, remember, he was the, um, the, the high priest who betrayed Christ to uh, um, Pilate. And here we see him stretched out in the figure of a, in the shape of a crucifixion because he's the one that sold Christ out. In the middle of page 127, and I saw Virgil staring down amazed at this body stretched out in crucifixion, so vilely punished in the external exile. Then he looked up and asked one of the friars, could you please tell us, if your rule permits, is there a passageway on the right somewhere by which the two of us may leave? He answered, closer than you might expect, a ridge jutting down from the base of the great circle extends and bridges um, every hideous ditch. They're going to be tricked, and Virgil's going to be really upset. And once again, I think Dante's making this point. Remember when Virgil tried to get in the gates of Dece? He couldn't do it, and he came back downcast. What Dante's showing us is that reason is a great, great thing. Dante could not do this without Virgil. But reason is terribly limited. Virgil couldn't do that. Remember, an angel had to come in to help him. It's going to happen again in Purgatorio. Virgil's going to come up lacking. All Dante's showing, he's reminding us that as great a thing as reason is, it's our greatest gift, it, it falls short. Virgil's going to be tricked here. And he's going to be really upset because he allowed himself to be tricked. But one of the points that I want to make here is that here, at the level of the um, hypocrites, we've got Caiaphas stretched out. And if you remember um, earlier, um, one of the souls blasphemed God 
it was in, um, I think it was in Canto 14, Capanius was one of the um, kings in the ancient world when the assault was made on Thebes because Thebes was one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. And Cap um, Capanius defied God. He defied him, and Zeus sent a thunderbolt at him. Here you've got a figure like that. Caiaphas is set apart from other people by the way he defied God. We're going to see the image repeated in just a minute. Um, it's, it, to me, it's, it's one of the most horrible, um, unsettling images of them. Um, we'll get to it right now. If you turn the page on to Canto 24, Dante's giving us an image of the, of the thieves on page 132. It's, it's one of the most stylistic, masterful pieces of literature in the whole tradition. What he shows is one individual being transformed into another and the other one taking on the identity. It's like a snake biting and suddenly becoming slowly that person and the other person becoming him. So Dante describes in very concrete detail that act and it's amazing to see it on page 132. Their hands were tied behind their backs with serpents which pushed their tails and heads around their loins and coiled themselves in knots around the front. And then at a sinner running by our bank, a snake shot out and striking hit his mark right where the neck attaches to the shoulder. No O or I was ever quicker put by pen to paper, that is instantaneously. Then he flared up and burned and turned into a heap of crumbled ash. It's just, if you, if you read that passage, you'll remember watching this um, interfusion or this inter-transformation take place. It's a place that's really remarkable. Why is he doing that at the level of thieves? Why is that an appropriate contrapasso for the act of stealing? Because I guess it's not yours. You're taking something that's not yours, so... <laughs> It, that's kind of what it seems like. You're not yourself. Right. You know. Yeah, exactly, Connie. Right on. Just nailed it. You're taking on something that's not yours and then becoming something that's not you. So thieving, stealing isn't just stealing. It's, it's taking away. Because, you know, this was a very... I mean, we believe... Actually, this goes to this whole notion of our Constitution that I think Connie was troubling about in her prayer. Our, our Constitution was founded on the belief that private property was crucial, that um, each person was free to pursue his own things, that all of us were created equal, that, that the fact that we're born in a lower class should not keep us from becoming who we are. So if we grow and we work and we, let's say we have a business, that business is an extension of us. What, I, 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 let me, I'm, I, I want to be careful right now. Some of you may feel that I'm getting too involved in this, but, you know, months and months and months ago when we were watching the riots in the cities, when, when the looters were destroying property, they were destroying the property of people, even though what they were doing was defending the rights of somebody. They were taking property away, destroying it. The destruction of property was rampant. It was vast. It wasn't on a small scale at all. And the police often were not there to stop it. So imagine yourself being a small business owner and watching your place, say you've worked 20 years to establish this small business and overnight it's destroyed. 
part of you gets attacked. You know, if you create a painting, if you write an essay, if you clean your house, if you pay the mortgage, those things are part of you. They're who, who you are. You know, I'm looking at each one of you in your homes right now. I'm getting used to them. You know, that each one of you has your own home. You, this is the world. It's an extension of you. It's who you are. You don't want somebody to come in and setting fire to your place and destroying it. It's like hurting something who you are. So to steal is to take away something of somebody else. You take away something of who they are. And by extension, you're becoming something you're not. So Dante's depicting this being in a really remarkable way and showing this cross-transformation take place. Um, in Canto 25, on page 134, he ends it with um, Fucci. Um, I'll read it on 133 to lead up to it. He said... Um, Oh, a crime falsely attributed to another. I don't want you to rejoice at having seen me. He's very spiteful. If ever you escape from these dark pits, so open your ears and hear my prophecy. Pistoia first shall be stripped of all its black. It's just another instance of somebody in hell seeing something that is yet to come. And it will come. Because remember, it's already happened in Dante's time. Dante's setting the Commedia back years. So the, char the characters in the poem are constantly prophesying something at, Dun at the story's time will take place. The reason he can do that is because it's already happened. So, But he's showing us that there are these powers of prophecy that these people can see these things. From Valdemar um, Magra, Mars shall thrust a bolt of lightning wrapped in thick foreboding clouds, then bolt and cloud will batter bitterly in a violent storm above Pacenu's fields where rapidly the bolt will burst the clouds and no white will escape without wounds. Remember, Dante's a white. He belonged to the white party. The whites and blacks were divided against him. So Dante was a white. He was defending the autonomy of each city to speak for itself, to, to not be bound by somebody else. Um, and I've told you this so you will suffer. He, he just wants Dante to suffer. That's his only aim right now. He's only speaking his prophecy because he knows it'll hurt Dante. Canto 25 begins. When he had finished saying this, the thief shaped his fists, his fists in the figs and raised them high and cried, Here, God, I've shaped them just for you. From then all the snakes became my friends, for one of them at once coiled around his neck as if to say, That's all you're going to say. That is what happens to Fuji here is that is what happened to the other sinners in moment rule. He'll get transformed. But that gesture to me is one of the foulest. You know what he's doing. I mean, he's giving God the finger. I mean, it's just, it, to me, it's one of the most, all the other foul stuff in hell doesn't bother me nearly as much as this one gesture. But this is, so periodically you get these figures like um, um, Capanus and Caiaphas, Whose, whose response to God is just open defiance. Okay. Turn to page 143, 45. He comes to the level of false counselors, and it's here that he meets um, people who have given false counsel. It's, it's priests, it's bishops, 
you know, priests giving false counsel, bishops, everybody will be here who've, who've used their position um, to, to falsely mislead somebody. But the two people he chooses to focus the sin on are Ulysses and Diomedes. And you've all done this now, so you're going to know things that other people won't. You know that, um, as a matter of fact, let me just ask you, why is Ulysses here? For Dante. Because remember, Homer, Homer's two great poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey, according to Homer, Odysseus was this extraordinary hero. When we got to Virgil, Virgil's way of representing Odysseus was not the same at all. He had nothing good to say about either Achilles or Odysseus. So why is, why is Dante putting Ulysses here in hell? for false, false counseling. He's with the, uh, he's with the thieves, isn't he? For stealing the palladium? No, he's, he's with false counsel here. It's a little bit lower, the false counselors. But I think you're on to something, if I'm understanding, Mike, I'm not sure. Well, it, it, uh, it, they talk about his stealing the palladium, but that must be a sidebar. This is huge, you guys. Ulysses is great. Virgil wasn't. Well, but take that a step farther. What? Who cares? Rome was Rome was going to be the city. The side of the Trojans. Say again. Virgil looked at it from the side of the Trojans. What was Ulysses' role in defeating Troy? Well, Ulysses came up with the whole idea of of uh, tricking the Trojans into bringing the horse into the city. Right, right. Now listen, watch this though. This is so, yes, so Troy was destroyed a whole way of life. I mean, that's the beginning of the Aeneid, right? I mean, going back and watch Troy destroyed was the first half of the book. But turn to page 140. Let's see, I think this is, hold on, sorry. Um, oops, sorry, 140, yeah, 147. So this is, now remember the ironies because the contrapasso in every level gives away the sin. It, Included in the contrapasso are the words. The words that each sinner speaks gives the sin away. So we have to look at the words carefully to see what the person's saying. And what that person doesn't see from his words that those words reveal. So remember at the very beginning when Francesca said, if, if, only, if only the king of the universe were friendly to us, it doesn't sound like much. But what she's doing is blaming God. <clears throat> so the words always are a part of the contrapasso. 
A person's words always give away something he doesn't see because the whole point of hell is the people don't know that they don't know. They don't know how they're giving themselves away. Bottom of 147, Canto 27. If I thought that I were speaking to a soul who someday might return to see the world, most certainly his flame would cease to flicker. He's not going to give himself away because he's too concerned about his own honor. So if he thought that any of this was going to get back to the world, he wouldn't say it. But since no one I've heard the truth ever returns alive from this deep pit, with fear of dishonor, I answer. Now this is Guido. Um, this is Guido um, de Montefeltro. He's he's actually this this passage that T. S. Eliot uses at the um, in his poem T. Um, the love song of Jeff and Prufrock. Um, so remember, the words always give people away. Now, just before that, Dante comes to Ulysses and Diomedes, and this is what Ulysses says. So remember his words, that words give people away. Bottom of 143. So I set out the deep and open sea, just one ship, and with that group of men, not many, who had not deserted me. So remember, this is Odysseus taking his voyage, going out with his men. So this is what this is the hero of Homer's the Odyssey. Except now we're not looking at the hero in that book, we're looking at a man damned in hell. Okay. Top of one forty four. I saw as far as Spain, as far as Morocco, both shores I had left behind Sardinia and the other islands which that sea encloses. I and my mates were old and tired men, and finally we reached the narrow neck where Hercules put up his signal pillars to warn men not to go beyond that point. On my right I saw Seville and passed beyond. On my left, Cueta had already sunk <coughs> behind me. Brothers, I said, who through a hundred thousand perils have made your way to reach the west, during this so brief virgil of our senses, vigil of our senses that is still reserved for us, do not deny yourself experience of what there is beyond. Behind the sun in the world they call unpeopled, consider what you came from. You are Greeks. You were not born to live mindless brutes, but to follow paths of excellence and knowledge. Now, they start to head towards this mountain that they see, bottom of page 144, Five times we saw the splendor of the move, grown full five times, wane again, since we had entered through the narrow pass. They're passing this mountain and going through this narrow pass. Top of 145. When there appeared a mountain shape darkened by distance that arose to endless heights, I had never seen another mountain like it. Our celebration soon turned into grief. From the new land there rose a whirling ship that beat against the the forepart of the ship and whirled us round three times in churning waters. The forced blast raised the stern up high and sent the bow down deep as pleased another's will. And then the sea was closed again above us. They all drowned. Okay, what's, what's Dante showing us here about Ulysses? What's his sin? 
that he knew that there was danger ahead, that he was going to lose men, and yet he gave everybody a pep talk, telling them this is what Greeks do, and let's go, let's do this. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you flesh that out? I mean, what? What? No, Melly. Good. Pep talk and can can you flesh that out at all? What's wrong with that? What he says. Well, he knew that the prophecy was that he was going to lose men, but he decided to go ahead and do it, just like you considered him like an army general, you know? People are going to die. It's, it's going to happen. So we're just going to... Hold on, hold on. When, when, I mean, you're absolutely right. So when sergeants and general do that, they know men are going to die, but they don't go to hell. So what's right. going on here? I guess because they don't know for sure. I mean, they know people are going to die, but they don't know. They haven't been told that, whereas Odysseus knew there were going to be people who died, yet he, um, you know, he talked to them about, you know, you are Greeks. You're not just like other people. You, you're, you follow the paths of excellence and knowledge. So, I mean... I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but that's what he's he's just trying to tell them that they'll maybe they'll kind of live forever since they're Greeks and not really being real with that stuff. Yes, anybody else? Are they okay? Where are they watching? Oh, I forgot. Yeah. We've got three grandchildren who are can you hear them? Is this distracting for you guys? I'll be, gl I'll be glad to... I'll be gl adorable. Oh, they are not adorable. I'll be glad to have a reason to send them to bed. <laughs> Melody, you come over here and you can babysit. I love them. I tell my kids if they don't knock it up, I'm going to put them in the garage and they sleep in the garage. Every day. That's, that's how full of pity I am. Oh, we're not going to go there. Would you guys stop? Would you guys get a hold of yourselves, please? How old are they? 13 and 10 and 8. Okay, you guys can stop now. Okay. Here, I want to read this. I want to read this. Remember when Dante got... Remember, the, the, the whole epic begins with Dante wanting to climb a mountain. And he could not climb it. It was an act of presumption. For him to want to go to heaven without dealing with darker things meant he had to go down. So he went up, remember? But here's the description. This is on page four. Um, he gets beaten back from this mountain. And it says, Just as a swimmer, still with panting breath, now safe upon the shore, out of the deep might turn for one last look at dangerous waters, so I, although my mind was turned to flee, turned round to gaze once more upon the pass that never let a living soul escape. So it's as if he wanted to do something without undergoing a death. By the way, you know our faith starts with baptism. It's immersion in water. It's to, it's to die. And, and I, I pointed this out before. You know that every epic hero, Achilles, Odysseus, Aeneas, Every one of them faced death by water. 
and every one of them says, I would have rather died in battle. Because it was more, it was more heroic to die fighting for, showing how noble you were, than you would have had to die by nature. Go under in water. Our life begins submerged in water, death by water. Okay. In the passage that I just read you um, from Ulysses, remember he says, brothers, um, who through a hundred thousand perils have made your way to reach the west, we've done all this. This is reserved for us. Do not deny yourself experience of what there is beyond, behind the sun in the world they call in people. Consider what you came from. You are Greeks. You were not born to live like mindless brutes, but to follow paths of excellence and knowledge. Then he finds himself in this pass when there appeared a mountain darkened by distance that arose to endless heights. I had never seen another mountain like it. Our celebration turned to grief. The ship goes down, whirled around three times in churling waters. By the way, Melville in Moby Dick, when Ishmael goes down, it's going to be described exactly like this. Whirled round three times in churning waters, and fourth blast raised the stern up high and sent the bow down deep, as pleased another's will. Now go on over to um, page 200. This is the very first canto um, of Purgatory. Dante has to go over to the shore and wash his face. He has to clean himself from what's just happened. He cannot feel sorry. He cannot be gloomy. He cannot let the bad that he's just seen overcome him. That is not what that's about. When we had reached the place where the cool shade allowed the dew to linger on the slope, resisting a while longer the sun's rays, my master placed both of his widespread hands gently upon the tender grass, and I, who understood what his intention was, offered my tear-stained face. He gave himself willingly. What Virgil was going to do, he didn't resist. He wasn't proud. Pride, pride right now is out of it. He's saying, here's my face. Offered my tear-stained face to him, and he made my face clean, restoring its true colors once buried underneath the dirt of hell. As we touched upon the lonely shore that never yet has seen its waters sailed by one who then returned to tell the tale, who can go to purgatory without God's help? Can we enter into divine mercy on our own will? It's an act of grace that never yet has seen the water sailed by one who then returned to tell the tale. There as another willed, the Italian for that is come el trici piace, piacu, then as another willed, he girded me, O miracle, when he pulled out the reed, immediately a second humble plant sprang up from where the first one had been picked. It's fruitful. This is a moment of humility. He's washing off his tears. But remember that line. There as another willed. The line come altrui piace. Go back to page 145. The ship goes down. The fourth blast raised the stern up and sent the bow down deep as pleased another's will. Same Italian phrase. So what is this mountain? What's Odysseus's sin? Um, 
Remember this book began, right? You're all here, right? The book began with Dante wanting to climb this mountain. And he got beaten back and then it described him like a, like a swimmer. So I, although my mind was turned to flee, turned round to gaze once more upon the past that never let a living soul escape. What's Odysseus' sin here? We're going, this is really, I love this. We're going into heavy waters. <laughs> These are good waters. Using others for his curiosity. Not close. No. What's Odysseus' sin? Are you loving this as much as I am right now? I mean, this is sort of amazing. This gets, this gets so to the heart of our faith. It's just, it really is extraordinary. This is at the center of our faith. I wish it would get out. I wish it would get out. Connie, what is this mountain that, that appears here, and what is Odysseus' sin? Maria, where are you? Maria Cecilia, <laughs> where are you? There you are. What is the what is Odysseus' sin, and what is this mountain? Can you give us a hint? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you a hint. Can you repeat what happened? Go, go, go ask my 13-year-old if I ever show him mercy. Oh. <laughs> did you hear that answer? Melon, did you hear that? From the upstairs, no. <laughs> the other day we were sitting at the table and, and when we have dinners together, I'm always going slow down and... And we'll get this echo back from all three kids. Slow down. They're imitating this deep, dark voice. The other day, at the end of when the meal was over, we asked the kids to clean up and serve. We asked the kids to help out. It's a big thing with us. And the kids shot up immediately, and Suzanne's response was, Hello. <laughs> they sat down again, and they, two minutes later, she, Hello. So the, the, the two phrases that are going to get on plaques this week are, Slow down. And hello. <laughs> Come on, you guys. What is this mountain? What is Odysseus' sin? Okay. He's trying. Go ahead, Mike. He's trying to make for the mountain. He's taking his ship to the mountain. Mike, I don't know. You're. I don't know if you're too close to the mic, but it's vibrating. I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Is it the mountain purgatory? And, and Odysseus is is steering his ship for the mountain. They're rejoicing that they are coming near to. I don't know if they're in search of the mountain, but he's making for the mountain. 
<laughs> Melody, go ahead. Okay, so he's he's trying to get to the mountain, um, but you can only get there through God. But he doesn't invoke God; he invokes the spirit of being Greek. So that's what he wants people to focus on, except the fact that he doesn't know God. So that's why I'm. I don't know. I'm a little, I'm thrown off. So I just, I'm throwing this out. I don't know. No, you guys are good. He's proud. He's trying to do it on his own. Yep. Try, man, and you're right on. What's he trying to do on his own? What's wrong here? I mean, you're right on. What's he trying to do that's wrong? He's storming the gates of heaven. Yeah, sort of. I mean, he's trying to be perfect on his own. And, I mean, Anne's right. I mean, all of you are putting it together. Every one of you is. This is wonderful. I just so enjoy you guys. Every one of you is adding something here. If you put it all together, you're seeing it. He, he wants to be perfect. He's like an expression of something inside of us that wants to be perfect. Can we do it ourselves? I mean, um, Melody's two qualities earlier when she was defining heresy, remember, was pride and envy. There's this great appeal to the pride of men you know there's nothing we can't do god that stuff there's nothing we can't do there's no limit we can't exceed you know we can do all this stuff can we i mean is that our belief can we be per can we be like god on our own the cost of it according to our faith is a cross and humiliation there's if if our pride takes over what Will we get there? I mean, the, the, what Christ shows us is a God on a cross, humiliated, and says, so long as we let the world have us, you know, it won't be until we die to ourselves that we can be open to a divine help. And it's only through that divine help that we can actually know joy, that we can become perfect. Yes, can you all... So here's my question. Put the mountain together, because I'm trying to do three things here. The poem began with Dante trying to climb the mountain and then getting beat back, and it has that description of a swimmer trying to escape no, a place that no man had ever escaped alive before. So I, I, although my mind was turned to flee, turned around to gaze once more upon the path that never let a living soul escape. We all have to die... Dante wanted to climb that mountain without dying. I mean, the, the, the theme here is dying to oneself, to learn to die. He, he was trying to flee f as a swimmer from a place where no man had ever escaped alive before. He's trying to do something that we can't. Here, Odysseus is saying, don't let these limit. He's... Where am I? Sorry. Here. I and my mates were old and tired men. On my right I saw Seville and passed beyond on my left Cuta. So he's going beyond the, what is it, the Straits of Gibraltar? He's going out to a place where no man has been. By the way, um, um, Hemingway's Old Man of the Sea, same thing, but I, I just, to me, I don't, there's so much that Hemingway doesn't see, but the old man in that, in that short nov the novel of Hemingway, He's going where no man has gone before. He's going out farther 
and he will encounter problems he's never encountered before. So it's going beyond limits. It's exceeding limits. Brothers, I've said, we've, we've faced a thousand problems. Don't deny yourself the experience of what there is beyond. Can you hear anything in the modern political rhetoric that says, um, accept limits? It's all, let's create a new world. Let's go where no man's, let's have our dream. Let's do what nobody's ever done before. I hear that stuff and I, I shake. Because that's exactly what Odysseus is saying. Consider what you came from, you're Greeks. You are not born to live like mindless brutes. He does everything to beat it down so that it can exalt the, the option. To not do it means you're a brute. That's not good. That's, I mean, that's not wisdom. That's rhetoric. To not do this means you're stupid. The only way we can show we're not brutes is by doing what everybody else doesn't do. God, how seductive is that? How seductive is that? But the irony is the ship goes down, stern goes up, and sent the bow down deep as pleased another's will. So the question is, does Odysseus do anything according to another's will? He wants to be perfect. And he's encouraging his, so false counseling, remember this is where we are. I mean, how seductive, it's so seductive. It's, it's appealing to everything great in men. But is there any sense in what he says that we should be doing something according to another's will? Powerful stuff. Yeah? Anybody have any questions? Sorry, Mary Jane, go ahead. So his sin was false counsel, uh, not pride? I think I don't think you can separate them, Mary Jane. I mean, the way you put it is exactly right, that anybody false... I mean, if you look at it, the motive of the false counseling is pride. Okay. Right, that he's he himself is too... Remember, this is... And remember, I mean, you guys are in a wonderful... You've done the Aeneid now. I mean, you've done, the, you've done Homer, you've done Virgil, you've seen Virgil's criticism of Homer. Now you're getting Dante's criticism. And he's showing us... Ulysses, and Ulysses is encouraging the men to do this, but clearly the motive from him is this pride he has that he can be perfect, that he can accomplish this great thing, and he doesn't see how proud he is, that, um, that he's, he's encouraging his men to do something without any sense of God or their human limits or, you know, what would be good or... Um, wise or Dave Dave or Kay did you go ahead did you have something uh, I think Ulysses' sin is being too self-reliant uh, too proud and uh, encouraging his fellow man inciting them to rely on their Greekness and not uh, really turning to God. And I think uh, uh, Dante's, uh, the mountain he talks, he's trying to climb. The mountain is, uh, I, to me, it's Christ. Interesting, yeah. Um, Kay, you're right on in everything. I'm just, I, when I put all the stuff that you guys have said, I'm just sort of amazed right now, a little bit dazzled. No, come, Dave, come back, come back. I don't want, I don't want to lose your picture if you can come back. 
Come back. Kay, you come back here. You come back here. Um, it's interesting. I, I would have, myself, I would say that the mountain is purgatory. It's perfection. You know, that we'll see this in purgatory. Because remember, symbolically, the story begins with a mountain. Dante wants to go up. But he can't do, and he's beaten back by the beast. He has to learn to see them, to deal with them. And so, um, symbolically in the book, it's purgatory. But I think you're absolutely right, because if when we get to purgatory, we'll see that what's actively going on is that all these penitents, the people that are undergoing penance, are being helped by Christ and his mercy. So you could say, I think what you're saying, I remember a, a fellow teacher, a colleague at, at UD, at, at, at University of Dallas when I was teaching there, she'd been doing some work on Mary and was convinced that the mountain was Mary. And I think you, there's, a, there's a good argument for making that case as well. You'll, we'll see it when we get to the mountain, when we do purgatory, because you're going to see that the, the virtue at every level that we meet, pride, envy, wrath, sloth, avarice, gluttony, lust. Those are the sins that people are working off. They're exactly the same sins here. But the difference is that the people in purgatory want to take on their sins and they're open to Christ's mercy. But at every level, the virtue that they're struggling to perfect is Mary's. Because she, she represents every human virtue. We have to wait to get there, but it's interesting that you would say that um, because I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Well, we didn't get close to the end. Um, I must not be doing something right here. Um, um, let me stop because we've only got a couple, and we could do some more. But I, there's, I think we're at a point where I, I think I can, I can do the ending next time. We should be able to complete the book. And probably start the purgatorio. So I'm, I'm I don't want to go through this too fast, but I'm trying to hit major points so you can follow the descent. You know to see really what's going on. I had intended to start tonight with a description of the guardians. If you'll just check in online, I don't know why that didn't get to you. Um, I wanted to take a minute to show you the images of the Minos, you know, Plutus, all the others, Garion just to show you that that Dante chose each one of those guardians of the levels of hell because they image something in the sin. We didn't get to it, but and I'll, I'll spend a minute on it next week. I, I hope it'll get over to you. I don't I, I downloaded it. I don't know why I, or uploaded or whatever you. Anyway, I want to do that. We didn't do it. I'm okay with that. Um, I think we're at a point where we should be able to finish the inferno next week and start the Purgatorio. So next week I'll, I'll finish um, Fraud Simple, the ten Malbogias that we've been looking at, and we'll we'll look at the four um, Bulges, the four levels of Fraud Complex. Those last four levels deal with um, betrayals of personal trust. There was something far more personal at issue in the sin that was being committed. So this is taking us to the depths of hell. At the center of hell, there are going to be two things that I want to look at very, very closely. In fact, three. Let me just point you to them. Um, 
One of the scenes is going to involve Master Adam and Alberigio. Master Adam is going to be bloated. It's next to the. It's very. It's it's next to the end. Um, when we get to the end, we're going to meet a, a friar, a priest, a friar brother, who's going to be inhabited by a demon. So Dante's showing us the demons can inhabit human beings, and this is a holy. He's he's a figure of the pre or the church. So we're getting close to holiness here. There's a priest who's inhabited by a, um, a demon. What they what Dante's saying is, <laughs> be wary of priests. <laughs> so, so and, and, and by by this time you shouldn't be surprised because you know hell is full of priests and bishops. So, popes. and sorry, popes. And and then he's going to show us what I think is the climax of the whole divine or the inferno. The climax is that scene between um, um, Ruggiero and um, Ugolino. Thanks. Ugolino is eating the head of Ruggiero, Bishop, who betrayed him and his children. In the last scene, we're going to see a scene in which Ugolino is eating on the head of somebody because he's getting back at him for what he did. What he did was lock him, Ugolino, and his children, his nephews in a tower and they reached a point of dying I'm not going to go into it because I don't want to give it away and then from there we go to Satan and I think Satan is anticlimactic he's not the climax I'm going to say I want to see what you guys say so here's my challenge if Melody will pick me up on this again I'll be grateful for the help the whole, whole of the inferno is going to Satan Satan's going to be eating the three great betrayers, Judas, Cassius, and Brutus. Cassius and Brutus betrayed their temporal lord, Caesar. Brutus betrayed... No, Judas. Judas, sorry, betrayed Christ. So Satan's going to be eating on those three figures. I don't think that's the climax but I want to see what you guys say. I think the climax is the Ugolino scene with Ugolino eating on these. So if you would go back over the last four or five cantos of the Inferno, because that's where we'll put our focus. We'll finish the Inferno and we'll start the Purgatorial and we can breathe again. <laughs> we'll come up on the shores of Purgatorial. Dante will wash his face and he will begin the ascent of Purgatory. It's a wonderful middle canto. Middle, camp, middle song, full of hope, full of life, humor, irony. It's, it's the same thing, but it's not as grisly. It's full of hope and life. And So let me stop. Any comments um, before we close for the night? Any questions or comments on what we've done or where we're going? Connie, I'm, take, I'm trusting that you're going to take all this back and straighten out Father Flynn. You tell him for me. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell him. <laughs> I'll make sure he's read it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions or comments, you guys? Bless your souls. God, you are a joy. You are a joy. You guys are a joy. No questions? Okay, keep us all in your prayers, please, all of us, pretty seriously, and we will keep you all in our prayers, all of you. Um, 
you guys enjoyed the end of the inferno and and more than that enjoyed the purgatorio it's a it's a it's a beautiful work of redemption you know of of souls who are picking up their sins they're the same sins they're awful but they're picking them up glad um it's our church in fact let me give this away the purgatorio is an image of our church at work in the world that's what the purgatorio is Anyway, bless your souls. I, it's always a joy to be with you guys. You guys have a good week, and all of you stay safe, okay? Have fun with those grandbabies. <laughs> <laughs> have fun. Are you kidding? Those kids, that 13-year-old? They're wonderful. <laughs> You're going to buy them candy? Is that what you just said? You're going to get them some candy? God, go away. And ice cream. There you go. Go, go. <laughs> I hope you remember to turn the tape recorders on. This one's off. This one's on. I turned them both on, Doc. I have no idea. In fact, I.